Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to another episode of In Due Time. I'm your host, Dan Erica, and I am here with my amazing hubby, Joe. Hello, everyone. And we are bringing you an episode in our Globing series. For those who may have missed our Globing with Australia, we are actually on a mission to find out what's really going on in other parts of the world. And today, the person who is going to be leading us in that, in that conversation is an African-American business developer working abroad in Cambodia. Welcome, Love Nicholson. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. So we just want our listeners to understand this is always a live recording. And so because we are doing this um, where he is right now, the internet connection is unstable. So if at any point you may hear that there is a break or you may not quite be able to hear him or we may have to repeat for whatever reason, just be aware this is live. What you're hearing now, it's happening as is at this time. And so we're going to keep our fingers crossed that the internet, the weather, and Mother Nature, everything that we need for this to go forward for the time that we're sharing with everyone, that it will all be clear and our connection will, will stay strong. Great. So, love, we're wondering, Cambodia, you're in Cambodia. What are you seeing in life um, behind the scenes there, because as you know, you've lived in the United States, you, you know that the, what's happening with the corona uh, virus is impacting the entire world and impacting the globe. And we also know that there's so much happening in other parts of the world that we're not seeing in the media, we're not seeing on the news. And so this is an opportunity for you to be able to share through that lens for us what's happening there. First of all, how did you end up in Cambodia? Well, um, in 2015, I'm a little embarrassed to say I got my first passport at the age of 36. <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah. And uh, oddly enough, three months later, my oldest friend, who was a um, retired U.S. Army officer who had uh, spent most of his career in Southeast Asia, he started a business of uh, restaurant development and concert production. So given my history in those fields, he asked me to come out and help him. And as I was unmarried and uh, unattached in the United States, I uh, said, why not? And uh, I found myself out here. Wow. So when we talk about, number one, it's never too late. And number two, you can go wherever it is that you want to go. You just have to have the courage to just pack up, get up and go. And that's what you've demonstrated. So that's great. That's really important for people to know because there are a lot of people who are listening going, what? I could do that? Yes, you certainly can. All right. So life in Cambodia, what is that like? What's happening there in your corner of the world? Um, as you're seeing things unfold and, and having that connection with the media. First of all, do, are you able to see the news and follow what's happening in the news? Um, Cambodia is not a country that restricts any, um, unlike China, they don't restrict any um, social media or online access. Ah, okay. Uh, in fact, it's um, culturally, and I don't mean this as, as any, in, in, in a demeaning way at all, use the technology and the forums 
that perhaps more more developed cultures had already gotten out of their system. And um, it, 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 uh, the, the social media that we take for granted is, is um, it's a, it's a, a lifeblood of, of new avenues of, of sharing information that they didn't have before. They never had landmines. So watching the transformation in this culture technologically is uh, an interesting thing. I'm sorry, now you faded a little bit. You said watching technology, and what was the last thing you said? I said watching the development of technology and how it affects their culture, which hasn't changed very much in, in, in hundreds, of thousands of years. It's been a very interesting event. So wait a minute. Yeah, so, so, so what you're saying is, you know, as we're looking here in the U.S. to maybe leverage technology to address some of the issues with COVID-19, you're saying basically the way of life there in terms of, from a technology standpoint, really has not um, adjusted, or? No, no, not at all. Uh, countries like this are five, roughly five years behind the rest of the world technology. So it's always a game of catch up. But the, 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 the good thing is um, they learn quickly as all humans can. Are they interested in technology development? So is it that it hasn't developed because there's a lack of interest, or is it that it hasn't developed because there's a, a lack of resources to develop the technology? Well, okay, without pointing any fingers, I'm just going to do say do the math. Um, the current prime minister has been the prime minister for 30 years. Um, I'm sorry, has been the prime minister for how many years? You faded. Has been the prime minister for how many years? 30 plus years. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. Yeah. Since the end of the, of the, the Khmer Rouge um, atrocities. And um, during that time, um, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to say that the UN and the United States has spent billions of dollars through these countries to develop um, hospitals and education systems. And one of the first things you'd have to say to yourself is, this doesn't look like a place with $3 billion worth of school. Wow, interesting. So the money is coming in. The leader has been there before the advent of technology as we know it, and yet it remains un untouched in that area. Did I get that right? Did we lose the connection? So this is the danger of what we were talking about, and that with the, with the connectivity being so Hello. unstable. So, okay, you're back. Did you hear? Did you hear the question that was posed? Um, no, there was a there was a bit of a blank. There was a blank. Okay, so no, I was saying that as a recap for what you were saying. So you're saying that the country has been infused and supported with these millions of dollars, but we're not seeing the impact of that regarding the development of technology. So if you look at the fact that the money has poured into the country. But you look at the fact that the leader who is there has been there since, you know, prior to the advent of technology as we know it, and yet there is no evidence of the advancement of technology that you would expect with a country that's received as much financial um, investments, let's say. I don't know if it's support, but let's say investments and backing. You're not seeing that development. Is, is that accurate? <laughs> that's that's um Terribly, terribly accurate, unfortunately. Wow. So what are you... Yeah, so, so given that that is uh, occurring, 
your interactions with any of the local people, how 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 has how has that gone in terms of okay, so they're not they're not privy to the technology because the technology is like five years old. But how is your interactions with them? Um, how's that? How how has that happened? Do they have cell phones? Okay, well let me let me let me be um, clear about some things that without practicing them, much of what I could say would kind of slip under the radar or, or, or the importance of it would not be finely grasped. Um, I explained to a Cambodian college graduate here that we had actually successfully walked on the moon over 50 years ago. This was last week. So the quality of the education is in no way comparable to the rest of the world, which is why there is such a rich field of Western executives, managers, and directors at find jobs over here because culture in the country knows that they do not establish um, studying and they don't support it. And because of, you know, because of certain cultural influences like that, they corrupt in the prevalence there. Most people are accustomed to paying for their position, not earning it in America. So many of these different aspects weave together to form a strange lattice that is actually um, a self-fulfilling prophecy of their own failure. We're sitting here stunned. It's not that you've lost the connection. <laughs> um, my husband and I are, are sitting here stunned because he is, um, his background is in IT. That's what he does for a living and has for you know, over, over 30 years. And, and we're simply stunned. We're simply stunned at what it is that you're describing. So in college, they are, they're not learning the same things that we're learning as, as in other parts of the world. And when I say we, I don't mean we as in the United States because I'm, I'm not American. Um, but we as in, I want to say maybe the Western world? Would that be accurate? The Western world in terms of what we're learning yeah, and, say, and what we're doing? I would say, let me, let me save you some time there. Their, their learning is not comparable to any developed nation. Wow. They, can't, they, 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 they know this, and because they work off of um, a series of memorization without espousing the ability for um, individual thoughts. And you, I, I, I dated a, a woman who was born in China for a short time. And, um, the difference in their education style and why these countries are to hire American and Western educated um, people for, for many of their positions is because their own staff is not culturally adequate, has not been culturally trained to, and I stopped using the word Western for certain things a long time ago because it's a little racist. They are not trained to international standards and to know this, and they're not willing to put in the work to change their culture. Okay. So that the people are better prepared. And you see that not only in places like this, but you see it in Japan, you see it in China, you see it in Singapore, maybe less in Singapore, but definitely in places like Japan, where they realize that their culture holds them back from being flexibly, effectively flexible in dealing with many of the world's business cultures. So let me ask this question. Um, from a uh, uh, once COVID-19 hit there while you were there, has there been any um, travel restrictions? I mean, how, how has the government handled 
containing this to your knowledge. Okay. Well, let me, let me, um, yeah, thank you for bringing me back to the center because <laughs> come back, love. Come back. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I strayed a little bit. You're here on the ground. You see how everything is really connected. Yeah. Now to get to the question. Um, okay. Um, we do, we're going to uh, continuing with the fact that everything is connected. The average person, nine out of ten people here, understand nothing of this. Or can define anything about three words, germs, bacteria, or virus. It's not in their education makeup, not in their spectrum of understanding. So they have the, the international community, especially the neighboring countries of Vietnam and Thailand, have blanketed the airways and social media with um, truly upgrading the people's understanding of the importance of washing your hands and wearing a mask. Unfortunately, they don't understand why. And you can tell a child not to run into the street as much as he wants to, but until he sees a dog get hit and killed, that's the only time he'll understand why. So I, I guess my question around that is, they are a nation that's been around for, for centuries, right? This is not a new mm -hmm. country that was just discovered. So are there practices that are specific, like within their indigenous practices that they're doing that have not made them susceptible to some of the diseases and the ailments that have impacted other parts of the world. Because it's one thing for us to, to say, hey, it's important for you to be able to, to wash your hands and to sanitize and to use all of these things. But before there was soap and before there were all these other chemicals, there were natural remedies that were being used even by our ancestors, right? And within our cultures, kind of what they call those old school ways. So is it that they have those practices there as well? And so they're looking at that saying, this has served us well for years. Why should we change? Are you seeing any evidence okay. of that? Um, let me, um, let me, let me, it, it, once again, this, I, I wish that this conversation could be as straightforward and simple. And I mean, people like definable answers, easily understood answers. Mm -hmm. But the intense inconnectivity of the problem here is, um, you know, you pull on the string, I give you half an answer, I know I'm going to be giving you a disservice. So once again, we go back to the killing field. When one third of the population was killed, if you wore glasses, if you spoke a foreign language, or if they thought that you were too smart and might challenge the government. Um. One third of the population, people in the country were assassinated, butchered. And what you're left with is what we have today. No, they do not and cannot and have not held on to enough of the old knowledge from the ancient Khmer Empire, which actually ruled all of Indochina 1,500 years ago. And this country, much like Thailand, was never colonized. They invited the French to come in and upgrade them. So there's a lot, there's a lot of history here that affects why things are, why COVID-19 and current day issues are affecting the average Cambodian so, so in such a strong way. Now, in an earlier conversation, when we were talking about doing this, you had mentioned that when we were talking about having this conversation, you had mentioned that there are no hospitals. Once you leave the city, there are no hospitals. We 
have seen the impact of that in Europe. We're definitely seeing the impact of that in the U.S. What is it like there then? Kind of like, is it already happening? Has COVID even hit Cambodia is, is number the question number one. And number two, is it having any impact on those rural areas outside of the city areas where, as you said, there's maybe, uh, there are a few hospitals and none outside of the city? Okay, um, I'm going to answer your questions in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an order that makes the most sense for the timeline. Um, too much, a month and a half ago, when the first information, or possibly a month and a half ago, when the first information of COVID-19 was coming out and that it would affect the world, say late February, um, the, uh, the, I, because of our, our friends that are in the government here, we were receiving reports before the general public was alerted. So, meaning, meaning that, meaning that the, the, the foreigners were aware of it before the general public? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And the government, the government was aware of it as well. Okay. So, um, they know that they also have no infrastructure for hospitals because money was not spent in those areas outside of the major city, outside okay. of the power structure. Okay. So one, and so what they did do um, three weeks ago was they cut off, and this was just before the, the Cambodian New Year, was they cut off, they canceled New Year, and um, they put tanks on all of the roads to prevent inter-province travel except for food delivery and other essentials. But Here's the thing. Um, there's so many. They, they, they said that they closed the borders, but there were still planes landing from China and from the city of Wuhan um, as recently as two weeks ago. So you know what I mean? It's 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 beyond ridiculous. So wait a minute. I, I'm not sure. It. Go ahead. I'm not. I'm go ahead. I'm not sure. I, I, I want to make sure that I'm following because our listeners are also, we really want them to really fully grasp what it is that you're saying. So you're saying that they, three weeks ago, three weeks, because New York, we've been in lockdown for almost two months now, you know, close to over 60 days. So three weeks ago, 21 days ago, they then started, they went into lockdown and moved tanks, you said, into the roads in order to stop um, movement between the provinces? Is that what you said? In order to stop movement between the provinces? Exactly. But then they didn't shut down international entry from China, from Wuhan? Exactly. Because the reason being is because um, another interconnected issue. Um, the deepest the deepest water port in all of Southeast Asia is not Singapore, it's the southern city of Cambodia. Yeah, the United States has been very interested in it for a very long time, but they and they offered a deal to help upgrade Cambodia's infrastructure, but the United States required certain human rights issues to be addressed. The Chinese didn't make any such requirements, and that's why Cambodians are roughly ruled by them now. So this was a way for people to escape from Wuhan to come into Cambodia, right? Oh yeah. In fact, the king of Cambodia is is currently um, 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 quarantined in in China. So. Well, I, I want to go back to something else. Um, you said foreigners were notified before locals. Is that 
through the embassy, or how did you? How did no, you? No, no. I, I hope I, I made a mistake, or perhaps I spoke um, poorly. Because of my personal connection gotcha. in the government, we were made aware okay. of the reality of before the public was made aware. Okay, so I, I'm trying to paint a visual here for those who are listening. Imagine that there is this massive tsunami that's coming, you know, or a tornado, and there's a warning, but it's a silent warning, so only a select few are aware of this. What is happening on the ground there as the coronavirus is spreading? Because we know there is no cure. There are symptoms. And from what we've been told, if you are not in a hospital and you don't have access to a ventilator, that you will die from this for those who may have underlying health issues. And even if you do go into the hospital. In other words, it's a virus for which there's no cure and the death rate is, is very high as we're seeing around the world. So now that we put that in the context of you're in a place where there's no hospital, there are no ventilators, are you seeing people around you dying or are there symptoms that they're calling it something else? No. Okay, well, here's the thing. Um, they made um, the, the local press, which is, of course, owned by the government anyway, um, made a great end to put on the front page when the doctors in Wuhan came here after Wuhan's lockdown was lifted. And they were here for one week. The only teams that are doing currently doing testing outside of the capital are the UN-based, uh, the UN-chartered American team. They're the only ones testing both. And the, my, 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 my roommate likes to, like, is, a, is, a, is a very well-connected businessman here. And he, uh, he and his wife joke around that um, it's very funny that the government without warning, warning the Cambodian people about foreigners, but the Chinese are not listed amongst the foreigners. <laughs> they don't consider the Chinese foreigners. Because of the investment and because of uh, what, they're, what, they're, what they're bringing in. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's... Um, I saw. I'm pretty sure everybody saw the uh, um, the, the international interviewer who was talking to the WHO official, and she asked him a simple question. Um, this is like a month and a half ago. She said, "Can you tell me anything about the differences in the death rate in Taiwan as opposed to China?" And we're talking about mature professionals in a, in a worldwide crisis. He, he he refused to even acknowledge the fact that Taiwan as a as a separate place exists. Wow. Yes. So when you have when you have, when you have politics like that infecting, and I, I I'm sorry, I thought that was a Freudian. It was a Freudian, but I meant to say affecting, but infecting is a bit a better word. We we understood the intent, and, and we're very familiar with that that interview that you're talking about. Yes. Yes. Taiwan is. Yes. Is being ignored, yes. Even though, and that's a whole other separate episode, listeners, we are we will figure out a way to do uh, globing Taiwan as soon as we find someone there who will talk with us. But it's also interesting because Taiwan has also had great strides in terms of really controlling the coronavirus, right? And, and one of the things that you just mentioned, Love, is 
the what what they would describe here as draconian measures of control where they have the tanks and they're literally saying you cannot go from one province to the other because within the US right now we're looking at states that are protesting saying we want to be free we want to be free we want to go out and mingle we want businesses to open but we have not yet changed the settings in order to accommodate the measures that would be necessary first to combat COVID. You know, if one of them being social distancing and and, and um, less people, we opened up a lot of states are opening up malls today, yesterday, and, and come Monday, you know, in stores. I don't I don't mean to sound too dire, but it is a, a phrase that I'm unfortunately put it many all too often on social media. The weak shall perish. And there's many forms of weakness, but the kind that prevents doing what's best for you and those you care for is the, can be the most dangerous of all. You're absolutely right. Very well said. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is that those who are perishing the most are, as, as has always been the case, those who have access to the least resources. For whether it's socioeconomic yeah. reason or racial disparities, they don't have access. Yeah, so, so how are you protecting yourself and how are you getting... Resources like food and stuff like that. How, how are you doing that? How, how's that working? Um, the effect for everyday life for both foreigners and, um, and um, expats here in Cambodia. Um, the, the, the biggest change has been in the places that you gather or don't gather anymore. And the fact that the Cambodian service staff, which is basically the only jobs available for them in the capital, have zero money. So a number of um, foreigners have been killed for things as, 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 as trivial as a phone or a bag. And um, we're talking about people who have zero saving and are desperate. So I'm expecting things to get much worse, especially once the cluster of people who run out of money then are forced to make their way back home to their family farm with the infection. And that's the chapter that I'm planning on keeping. So I'm going to be leaving Cambodia very soon. Heading to parts unknown? I'm, gonna, I'm planning on stopping in, in New York. I've had a couple of deaths in my family in the past few months. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear um, that. I want to be there. Yeah, it's, I, mean, I, I, I know a lot of people are going through very tough times. Yes. And um, there's not much I can do, but it, I believe that, that that as an American, somebody who understands science, I mean, the United States, in my home, New York City, is a much safer place to be. And a place that has no, that is not prepared to handle what this is going to turn into. So I just want to make sure I, I, I understand is that there aren't any social programs or anything that government is doing for the people. Um, people are kind of pretty much fending on their own. And if there are any programs, it's not for the everyday person. Because I wouldn't, wouldn't separate that from what we, what we have here in the U.S. where there are social social programs and stuff like that. They're saying that none of that really existed. Sure. And I'm not That is heartbreaking. Only fact, oh, okay, I'm, I don't want to cut you off, but um, I want to stress this thing. A big thing that I've seen here is predatory lending. Fight. As soon as the um, people started losing their jobs uh, a few months ago. And, and we're talking about people giving their neighbors uh, alone for 100% interest. What? It's it, it, it common. 
And the thing here's the interesting thing: the microfinance banks and, and that have been gripping um, people here. I mean, when you get somebody that can't read a, a contract for their land, and, and that they, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so let there, me... there, there's just so many, so many interconnected effects here. So let me ask you this. I kind of feel like we're talking to someone behind the Iron Curtain. That's how I felt when the years that I was in Cuba so many years ago. If you get a loan for 100% and nothing from nothing leaves nothing, you have no income to repay this loan. Um, the wave, when we're talking here about it, it hasn't peaked. The wave hasn't even hit there yet. What is the consequence outside of COVID? What would be the consequence for someone there not being able to repay a loan? Um, loans of that, um, predatory loans of that nature are actually registered at the local village constabulary. Um, I believe they call it a village chief or whatever. And these are people that, that, that are, they go through elections where they provide the local population anything from $5 to $10. And they're in direct command of those prime minister's camp. So, um, yeah, they, 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 <laughs> what happens is, um, I guess the, the, the country turns into Mad Max because the, the people are, 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 I mean, here's, here's the interesting thing. I never really understood how an agricultural community starves if it's not weather related, it's management related. But I get the feeling we're going to see that here because people will have to eat, but they won't have the money to take care of themselves so that they can maintain the strength. So, ah. so to me, it sounds like if even if you have land and you're not managing it correctly, it can be almost used as collateral for getting money, and then it provides an opportunity for a lot of land grabbing. As a result, so, and we see it in the United States as well. Yes, yes, and that's all that a reverse mortgage is. Yes. I mean, think about it. Generations of work usually go into the, a, a family unit own successfully owning a home. Now, when you tell the generations that come after you, yeah, we put all our work into this, and none of it's going to you. We're just going to go cruise till we die. You know what I mean? That's the land grab. But you know what you just described, which was also very interesting. We do work with Roots Africa, which is an organization that is focused on addressing the issue of hunger in African nations. And it's interesting that you mentioned that even though they are farmers and they have the land to farm, because they don't have the money to be able to take care of themselves, to be able to farm the land, they have the land, they're growing the food, but they will not be able to benefit from it. Did I did I get that right with what you said? Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clarify it even. I'm going to make it an even more uh, succinct statement. Um, without education, without the absence of predatory um, land poisoning companies like Monsanto and so forth, without um, education on um, how to deal with water shortages because the government has not built in an agricultural country that's been getting billions from the rest of the world, it still strikes me as odd that there's no no, no nationwide water distribution system in a nation full of farmers. But that's another conversation. But the point I'm making is, even if they tried to grow, you know, if they have, it rains for six months a year here. So you have the water, you have the soil, so you grow your food, 
but if the tax break that the Vietnamese are getting for bringing the ah. to the country collapsed the market because um, the prime minister was installed by the Vietnamese government over 30 years ago, then they have no choice. It's a losing game. And I hate to say it, but the sense is going to burn, and they're going to burn until they get angry enough to take things into their own into their own hands and change their lives. Wow. Um, yeah. That is but, you know, I, 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 after four years, after four and a half years, I realized I'm in the wrong country because my my skills would must be that would be, would be okay. And let me give you an example. For six months, I worked as a as a as a business English teacher for Japanese and Chinese students. Most of them worked for Facebook. I was not hired because of my my uh, immense talent at teaching English. I was hired because I was a sales trainer in New York. I trained salesmen. I trained people to open up and speak clearly, and that's what they wanted me to teach culturally and professionally in language and in behavior. Japanese students, because culturally they don't have that. They can't do that. But that was my job. And seeing what, what this country is going to have to go through and the stages that they're going to have to go through is going to be hard. But they're learning quickly, because with this technology that we were talking about in the beginning of the conversation, they are now, they now have access to the world's accumulated knowledge, and more of them are, 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 are more and more of them every day are reaching for the knowledge that will help them see this. But wow. my, my efforts are not will be wasted here just yet. That's what I learned. Wow. That is amazing. The one the the, the the question that I have, burning question for me, we recognize that there is a spiritual basis that every culture operates from. Is there evidence of that in Cambodia in terms of is there evidence of that in Cambodia? And what does it look like? It looks like um, kindness and um, patience that I have not seen, could not even tolerate or excuse in the beginning because I did not understand all of the different setbacks and handicaps that these people have. You can stop somebody who's straight from the province on the street very easily from their clothing. You know, it's the same way as you could spot someone from the country um, 50 years ago in the United States. Right. In, in different, you know, um, a different, someone from the city. And you see them do things in busy traffic that only the country would do. And when the, these drivers do these horrific <laughs> and, um, moves that endanger like people's lives, they do it with their eyes to the ground and a, and a smile on their face. And wow. the people, um, accustomed to saying, okay, this is this level of awareness, or this is their level of uh, education, we have to take them. And then you, you see that more and more and more. But I'm, I've, I've started to see a little bit less um, excuse making for people that don't try to improve themselves amongst the 10 billion people, because our judgment means not. I'm talking about amongst them. So they will, they will like all people, they will lift themselves up. But when they're being dealt death blows like poor education, malnutrition, um, um, you know, denial of facts about why things are the way that they are and what they can do about it, well, we see all of this has happened before and all of this will still happen again. 
So is that where you're seeing their patience? You mentioned that they had, they're exhibiting a tremendous level of patience. It's kind of like they're looking at this and saying, hmm, you know what? This too shall pass. It's going to be bad. It's going to get worse, but we're going to get past this. Are you seeing that type of a... Uh... No. No, I'm seeing ignorance. Blissful ignorance. They don't understand how bad it's going to get. Ah. I mourn for them. Okay. Okay. They Again, they have no idea. This is coming, and it is going yeah, to no wipe you all out. Uh, and I, you, you, yeah, now I understand. Right now. This, is, this is my emotional um, safety measure of, of, of hilarity when I'm met with something emotionally, un, you know, destabilized like this because I've come to care for these people. And I know that so many of them are not, I mean, if the, if, what, was the, what was, I don't, I don't remember if it was like 20%. stunning we are speechless because as much as I have heard about things that are happening in developing nations and underdeveloped nations what you're describing your face you're you're facing this head-on you're seeing this every day and this is simply astounding you are a an african-american male as you described yourself and you are living in this very different culture and you just like you just admitted, you're looking at people who you know, give it time, by June maybe, so many of them will, will have died because they, have no, they don't know what's coming. And even if they understood what was coming, there are no resources for them to be able to avoid it, get around it, or even deal with it. That is truly frightening. And from a, from a humanity perspective, it is immensely sad. It is heartbreaking because those are human beings who, from what you're describing, they don't stand a chance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw this into clearer, um, a much clearer picture for you with a, with a, a true story. Um, an American male from Louisiana, roughly um, 30 years old, was traveling throughout the countryside here around four years ago with his um, native girlfriend. And um, the native girlfriend really didn't speak much English, but anyway, their, their motorcycle was in an accident
not, not, not what, what is wrong with my son, this is the, the, the treatment we're pursuing, just he has health insurance, so we're, that will pay for the morphine we're giving him to keep him in as little pain as possible so his dies. So his mother then immediately paid for a helicopter to take him to the hospital in the capital of Thailand, country right next door. They drained his, uh, his uh, head trauma. They began treatment. He survived. They put in place. But here's the most terrific part. After he left Cambodia, they put so much morphine in him that he had to go through the rest of his treatment for the next month with zero anesthesia. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. Oh my so, gosh! I met them, and they told they shared their story with me when I first came here, and that's what an insured, wealthy American had to go through. So I'm just asking you to think what an under what a miseducated, impoverished, and and and, and perfectly average human being. Here in Cambodia, we'll have to go through when this disease comes through. Wow, that is absolutely incredible. It's going to be devastating to that country. Wow, wow. devastating on so many levels. Yeah. And the sad part about it is, the rest of the world will probably not hear about this. The rest of the world will not Never. even understand what is happening there. That is devastating. Wow. Wow. What is it, love, that you would like for, and I know, I know, this is, this is kind of like a tricky question, but what is it that you would like the rest of the world to know in terms of, let me rephrase this, we're now all looking at having to do more with less. We're looking at changing our lifestyles the way that we're doing things. There are so many conversations about going back to the way things used to be and going back to old normals, along with the conversations around understanding that we need to form new normals. What is it that you think? What would you say to the... Well, yeah, I mean, one way I would say is, is there any philosophical thoughts you have about your, your experience that you want to share with us? Well, if this were another another uh, forum, I, I would have used an expletive that would have other humor that would say for my friend. I will say this: I have Cambodia has been a forge for me. I am not. Uh, I did not come from money. I am primarily um, self-educated, and I worked very hard for everything that I had and. That was for 42 years of my life in the American, in American culture. To come out here and for the first time as an African American, to be given reason why it's okay to look down on another class of people was a disturbing and challenging uh, thing for me. And what you learn about racism in another culture is also very interesting. So we, we could have many, many in-depth sociological uh, conversations about my experiences here, and I well, I would uh, I would welcome. It. But um, this place, the the, the the in the spiritual nature, 
I um I've learned that I came over here too hard. I came here from my experiences on Wall Street, my experiences working in, in, in um sales for the energy energy market, and my experience uh working in the hospitality market. I came over here with a New York attitude. These people are like, we're going to watch that youth growth in comparison. <laughs> wow. Such peace in the There's a patience in, in Asian culture that's woven into, into all of their cultures where that people are just and sit quietly. And that's something that, uh, that, that Americans seem to have forgotten. And I, I realized that the first time I was watching American TV over here. And I think it was a, 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 an American wrestling show. And the cartoons and the music and the noise and the blaring lights. And once you're removed from it, you see what our culture looks like for the rest of the world. And you're just like, wow, oh, was I that desensitized to that level of violence, real or, real or imagined? Wow. So there's been many things that I've learned here. And I think that one of the reasons that the, uh, the government has existed here as long as it has is because of its kind and nature of the Cambodian people. But this too will pass. <laughs> it, it always does. It always does. I wanted to repeat for our listeners because I, you're, you're, again, the connection went a little limp. You, you mentioned, if you could please just repeat what you saw in terms of the, you said the patience and the, we're talking so about the patience and compassion of the of the Cambodian people in general is probably the biggest reason why uh, the government has been allowed to leave the ministry for so long. Wow. But this too in time will pass. Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been... You know, I, I don't want to leave it there. I just remembered something from the things that we're both learning. Yeah. Um, I've learned here that you cannot defeat a fire-breathing dragon with a flamethrower. You cannot defeat a fire-breathing dragon with a flamethrower? Yeah. I'm going to break that down. I'm going to disassemble that very simply for you. If their power, if their illusion is fear, is violence, is monetary distress, survival of stress, we can't beat that. Not using their weapons. The only way that we're going to beat this as a people, and I mean as human, is by looking in on your neighbors, is by making sure that, you know what, teach that, 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 that couple that lives in, down the hallway from you having a little herb garden in their, in, on, on their balcony. Take care of each other. And the Cambodian people already know that. And, this, and with this anecdote that I'm going to share with you, I think you'll, you'll understand why. They blame the refrigerator for the breakdown of Cambodian culture in the provinces. The reason they do that is because for thousands of years, four family farms that interconnected or intersected would say, okay, this one's going to slaughter a pig, and then he's going to pass the parts around to the, to the families he's in that little coalition with, a little cooperative with. Next week, that one will, will slaughter a, 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 a cow. They'll take them to market and they'll share the rest with their neighbors. Once you have people putting food in cold storage for the first time in history, it disrupts that system. It, it, it removes wow. the sharing and, and it makes it more wasteful in many cases. 
Wow. And it isolates people from having... Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Wow. For, for those who may not have heard, because again, it, it faded a little bit. He said once that refrigerator was introduced and you started putting the, the meat into the cold storage, it removed that cycle of sharing. It disrupted that cycle of, of, and level of sharing and of community. And that is absolutely, you know, Joe is saying yes, 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 because we were just talking about this when we were when they mentioned here about the, the food cycle being disrupted with the people working in these factories who have come down with COVID, you know, with the coronavirus. And, and Joe was saying, you know, back in the day down south, that's, you didn't have that situation because you would go out and, and kill the, you know. Yeah, your neighbors, I mean, you, each, each, each person or each family would bring something necessary for the feast. You wouldn't bring more than, you, you wouldn't bring duplicate stuff. Yeah. And so there was no waste, <laughs> and so and that cycle was in place for centuries. And you know what, people? This is a lesson you may start want to start thinking about that. Everybody's kind of in a panic. Oh, because now you're going to Costco, you're going to BJ's, you're going to the grocery store, and the cry around the land was there's no meat. Well, you know what, people? You want to start thinking about this because we were when we were in West Africa um, at the beginning of the year. We were there for about three weeks and uh, three, four weeks almost in West Africa. And that's one of the things that we noticed. They were doing so much with so, so much less. I want to say what it, it may have appeared that it was so little, but they had the basics. They had rice, they had their meat, and they had um, their, their beans. And we were never hungry, right? We were never hungry. We didn't take any food from here, the United States, from New York with us there. They were able to do so much with so much less. And I think that this is an opportunity for us to really think about those old school ways because they worked. We were closer as a community and as families and as people in looking out for each other. And it is to speak to the spirit of Cambodians that they recognize that to say that development right there disrupted this caring. And most people didn't have refrigerators when West Africa. So you write to that extent. People say, okay, the land is providing what we need. That's right. And what we need now. Yes. Not for later. That's right. For now. And so we need to we need to take that and understand that is how we survived for many, many years. And we may need to go back to that. Joe, may I may I, may I, may I um retort to that statement you just made? Yeah. Because I want to confess to my own arrogance when I first came here. I mean, you come here from New York City. <laughs> you know, you think you're coming to some poor, uneducated, uneducated country. Of course you know that. Of course. Yeah, right. Sure you do. My arrogance, my arrogance, my arrogance and privilege was in full peacock mode, and I didn't even realize it. You got double slapped. Negotiate. I was taught to negotiate and do everything like a salesman. This was my first job when I was 16 years old. So... I had to break down a lot of my own um, assumptions and judgment. And wow. the people here, I mean, they, 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 I, I, there's so much I can say about them, but I'm in awe of them. I really am because they have the, they have the same heart, the same mind. Wow. They just, they just haven't been given the basic, most basic education to reach what they can reach. 
and I know that they can do everything we can because I, I, I see them at, at, at their leisure. Wow. It's like if they were given the tools, people would be so happy because they want so little. And look at what they're doing with how little right now. Right. Just so can, like you, you can you imagine what they would do with just a little bit more? Yeah. If they're doing so much with so little, imagine if they had more. We're not even saying excess and, and, and you know, overflowing, but just more than what they have right now. More than just the bare minimum. Which is the education, which, you know, from a farming standpoint, the techniques... And from a management standpoint, how do I manage the land better? Yeah. Because those are the things that, like Deanna said earlier, we're working with Roots Africa on, because it's, it's about now going back to the land. Yes. Yes. And for those people who have never left the land, they're like, welcome. <laughs> Glad you found your way back. <laughs> you know? So, um, so yes. And Deanna, I don't, I don't know if this is a, a, a form for this particular topic, but it is directly about life here in Cambodia. Um, you talked about the meat and um, the way that it affects people. The interesting thing is, I'm, I'm just going to say it exactly as it is. Cambodia and many countries, many developing countries, very similar to it, have free industry, cheap labor. That's why the factories come. Also, because they're given tax breaks by the government. Um, sex trade, legendary, especially in this area. I'm, I, my apartment is actually in the heart of the red light district here, here in, in the capital. Um, and of course, um, <clears throat> so the, the, the third point is, is irrelevant because those two aspects, once they are removed, and, and if those are the driving forces of the economy, it, um, it creates a desperation, mm. and it's that desperation that um, there's, a lot, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of phone calls I haven't taken because I know that I cannot help people that I've come to care for, and I, it, it hurts on a, on a daily basis. It hurts. Because you know that they, it's like, um, it's like you see somebody that's in the middle of the pond, and you're not a swimmer. And you, but you, you, they're calling for you to help them, and you wish you could. But if you go out there to try to help them, <laughs> you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, you're going to sink. You're both going to sink because you don't have the resources to be able to help them. So what do you say? What do you say? Well, though that, that this is what this is what I've been I've been driving towards. In a previous conversation, they, I mentioned a metaphor that I or or a, uh, a thought that is brewing in my mind the past couple of days. And that was um, the, the slogan, what, what happens over there matters over here. Yes, absolutely. So absolutely. Um, this was recently made, 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 made popular by uh, an antagonist in a, in a popular video game or movie. And it was in a negative sense. But in a positive sense, if you consider the fact that maybe the, the citizens of the world should hold some accountability for the immense amount, amount of their money that has gone to countries like this and the fact that it has been misused and stolen and that now you're going to create clusters, super clusters of infectious communities and that invites further mutations and I believe that one of the earliest sources of this disease was the agricultural community. And once the people here started eating the endangered animals,
and that makes my heart a lot more sad. So, I, in short, or should I say in closing, maybe the, um, the, the, the citizens of the industrialized nations of the world look to where the money that they've been sending to these countries, their governments have been sending this money, how it's being used. Because if anything has shown us the importance of what happens over there matters over here, very well said and very powerful closing words. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been an eye-opening conversation. Um, it has been absolutely insightful in terms of showing us, really showing us what's going on. And more than anything else, it's also given us a confirmation, love, of what what we have been feeling and what we've been sharing even with those close to us. We've got to get back to thinking more about each other. We've got to get back to focusing on each other. We've got to get back to a more basic way of life when it comes to focusing on what's really important, which is the human beings, not the color of your skin, not your socioeconomic status, but right now we're talking about caring about each other in a very, very real and basic way. And it shouldn't have taken COVID-19 for us to do that. Unfortunately, it did. And the question is, will we have that compassion and that caring moving forward? So if we take nothing out of this experience, people, take that. Take that compassion and take that caring. Because if we don't get it together and change the way that we're doing what we're doing, COVID-19 and coronavirus will seem like a joke in comparison to what awaits us next. Love Nicholson, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to um, join us here on In Due Time. Uh, and we're definitely gonna do this again. And when you hit stateside, please let us know so we can get together and, and have even more insightful conversations on what it is that you're seeing there and how it's impacting us and, and what we should take from that here. Thank you. Thank you very, thank you very much, Joe. Thank you very much, Deanne. I, I, uh, I appreciated this chance to discuss these things in a common sense forum, and I will definitely look forward to seeing you once the world gets safer and healthier. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. This has been In Due Time. We are delighted that you have taken the time to be with us. And until we meet again, and we know that we will, take care.